I'm Coulter DeVries with RanchInvestor.com. We give you the tools to build and manage wealth through ranch ownership. I'm Andy Ron, accredited rural appraiser and creator of Montana Land Source, the ultimate resource for the Montana land market. Montana Land Source is the only place where you can find all large acreage listings on the market in Montana today, as well as recent sales. We provide maps, market statistics and analysis, and Montana land news and events. Find us at mtlandsource.com. Hi, I'm Denver Gilbert, licensed broker and owner of Clark & Associates Land Brokers. We've been helping buyers and sellers of farm and ranch properties in six states since 2005. We've been averaging a little over $100 million in ranch real estate sales annually. Welcome everybody, episode four. This one couldn't be more important. I've always felt that professional ranch management was an underutilized asset. Professional ranch management is often overlooked because most people believe they can in-house it, that they don't need a, a third-party opinion. They don't want a third-party opinion. And I think they're wrong. I think you need to have perspective. You can't see the forest when you're in the trees. And so I brought in Jerome Chavilacek, who has many years with one of the largest professional ranch management firms, one of the oldest in the nation. And I'm going to have Jerome uh, educate me because I'm not all that informed on professional ranch management. I, I know it's important. I've looked into consultants that, uh, that specialize in areas like Jim Garrish and, and Ranching for Profit, Dave Pratt, but, but different firms like Farmers National or Hall & Hall, um, I'm just not that in tune with what they provide, though you do need a third party. And uh, just like having uh, an attorney for your estate, uh, you guys, your family can't hash out the estate documents just by themselves. I, I really think you got to have a mediator, um, an intermediary, someone who's unbiased, who's going to look at your situation and give you a forthright opinion that's unemotional and it's objective. And ranches, as we know, are very subjective and emotional. And so professional ranch management. Um, Andy, before we introduce Jerome, tell us about Montana Land Source. Well, Montana Land Source is the ultimate resource for all things Montana land. It's the only place where you can go and find all current active listings, large acreage listings in Montana, as well as market data and information and events and news. Probably a few of Jerome's... uh clients on there probably some that's, of, that's some right of, some ranches that will be on there that he's currently managing proud uh, to say hall and hall was one of my first clients uh took it to tim murphy he was one of the first first to sign up back in the day well jerome uh before we hit the record button you were telling me about uh the chavilacheks and jerome chavilachek with hall and hall uh, what is your background well, i grew up on a dry land grain and cattle operation in far north central Montana, 20 miles north of a small town called Hingham, about 10 miles on the Canadian border. Um, we grew small grains, uh, some canola back in the 80s, late 70s, and then uh, ran a small herd of cattle in conjunction with that. When you were running the gleaner, did you ever think that you'd be podcasting? No, no. <laughs> I always, you know, I tell people or when I went to call started college in Bozeman everybody said I had a Canadian accent and I think that's because I was listening to Canadian radio stations growing <laughs> yeah. up in the combine and the tractor absolutely and so you 
you went from the family farm up in the Golden Triangle to MSU, got a degree in what? In uh, agricultural business, uh, farm and ranch management. And then I graduated from Bozeman in 87, got married and moved to Pullman, Washington and got my master's degree in agricultural economics and was there for about a year and a half and then took the job with Holland Hall in July of 89 have, have been there ever since. Were you, were you just terribly jealous of the dryland crop yields they get out there in the Palouse? Yeah, that was... Uh, coming, coming from the Golden Triangle? Yeah, that's God's country out there. They can grow about anything with the moisture and the soil they have. Oh, you're right. It's uh, average 110 bushel an acre. Is that yeah. right for that Palouse country? It's very amazing up and there. And it's always interesting to see those combines run out there, those hillside combines. Oh, I know. And how It's the hilly country out yeah. there. Yeah, it is yeah. really hilly. Yeah, and so you got your master's degree, and, and where did that take you, and how did you get to Holland Hall? How long have you been there? I started there July of 89. I saw their ad in a publication, and... Uh, um, called them and they were looking to hire a management consultant at the time and I came over and interviewed and got the job. Boy, you have seen some change then. From 89 to 2021, the changing demographic of ranch owners. Yeah, definitely. It's amazing what's happening. Absolutely. So what when you started, who who were the clients? What was the audience? Because we, um, we, know, where it, where we know what it is today. A lot of the clients... Back in the late 80s, early 90s were insurance companies and then uh, some institutional investors, some um, uh, like, uh, not I don't want to say hedge funds, but but companies that would buy real estate and, and hold it and lease it back. Like John Hancock? Well, back then, Agervest was a big one Agri at the time. And how about, uh, oh, uh, Nuveen by Vanguard? I never did hear them okay i know they own real estate but they never did have any out here in montana that i i was familiar with back then were the endowments like harvard endowment well that's where companies like agervest would they would go uh get money from from these teachers unions and and other college uh endowments as part of their investments scheme so they would manage schedule. that investment but then hire you to to, yeah, to manage we would, the ground. We would manage the ground in in hmm. Montana that they had a few of the farms they had back then. Hmm. And how how is that different than uh, the program you offer, the value services you're providing? How is that different than like uh, the U.S. Bank Farm and Trust Management? Well, that it's it's not much different than what U.S. Bank is doing. You know, they're managing for estates or or private individuals, um, but uh, that uh, but they're not a specifically a company that would um, go raise money and then invest it in agricultural properties like some of these other investment companies. When when did the shift start happening? When when did you really start noticing like oh boy we're, this is we're going to absentee ownership and and my clientele is becoming. Uh, Maybe correct me if I'm wrong, Jerome. Uh, more recreation-based that we're we're managing for passive owners whose values are not endowment institutional returns. We started seeing that come onto the uh, market probably in the early '90s, 
is when it really started coming on. A river runs through it, 1991. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that definitely helped. So that that has to be exciting because now you're you're managing for different values, different objectives. How do you do goal identification with a client? Well, we sit down with them at the start and and ask them a bunch of questions of what they want to see from the ranch, whether it's recreational based, um, whether they want to own cattle or not, whether they want it to to break even or, or throw some money towards them. It just all depends on the ownership goals of the client and no two are alike. Do you actually staff ranches? Do you actually manage staff in yeah, certain cases? One of the services we offer is basically a headhunting service where we will help a owner hire ranch managers, ranch foremans, caretakers. So I got to ask you about this because I've, I've been put in this position actually in my career of supposedly being asked to help find management for a ranch and particularly like a new owner, a new out of state, even out of country, international, you know, new ownerships set. And one of the dilemmas that we noticed back helping out on that was that often the guys we would come up with that we knew would do a good job for them did not appeal to the owner themselves and the more fast talking slicker type guys that we knew uh you know didn't know which end of a cow was which so there was like a cultural divide that uh seemed difficult to to bridge is that a position you're put in well it's it's we go through a pretty extensive interview process with the owner and the candidate on the ranch and then with as you guys know the West is a pretty small community. It's pretty easy to, to check up on people and, and to get true references mm-hmm. and then try to match uh, personalities more than anything else um, with, the, with the owner and the candidate. Is there a shortage of competent management out there, on hands-on management? It has gotten tougher over the last 10 years in finding quality people. Mm. The good ones are happy where they're at, and they're hard to, to recruit. But there's still people out there, and we're finding of late some good young people that uh, um, are forward-thinking and know how to communicate. And aren't there some new college programs out there uh, in this? Haven't, hasn't that developed? Some yeah, there is. Montana State, as a matter of fact, has started a new program. Um, and then uh, there's down south, there's Texas Christian and the King Ranch Institute. That's mm-hmm. always a good source. This is our backup career, Coulter and I. The Dan Red. Scott School of Ranch Management. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm ve- I'm very interested in, on that. Uh, I mean, to help educate me on career decisions, what value do you place, or what value does the marketplace on accreditations? Because there's the Realtor Land Institute that has the accredited land consultant. There's ASFMRA, American Society of Farm Managers. Accredited Farm Managers. Mm -hmm. But they also have one more accreditation, uh, accredited, do you know what the other one is? I thought it was just appraiser, uh, review appraiser, and farm manager. There's one more. There's Ah. accredited uh, land Land. manager, I believe. Land, it's it's something competitive and comparative to the Realtor Land Institute's ALC program, Accredited Land Consultant. Yeah. So, Jerome, what, what value do you place on the letters behind the name? It definitely has value. I went through the ASFMRA early on in my career and took classes, so I'm a member of the ASFMRA. Um, 
and it definitely helps in, in getting your foot in the door in some cases. Uh, but probably more often than not, it's word of mouth is, is where, where we get the calls. And then through our real estate partnership, we get a lot of leads there, of course. Absolutely. And, and we talked about maybe the difficulty of hiring cowboys and managers. So I would imagine another challenge is the client. I mean, there can be some ego issues there and that they know everything. How do you navigate those relationships and personalities, not just the cowboys on the ranch? Well, it's, it, just, it always comes down to communication and make sure that everybody's on the same page and accurately and consistently communicate the goals of the owner and keep that in the front of your mind, and that avoids a lot of, lot of issues. Isn't the goal always to make money? In some cases, yeah. Other cases are, it's, it's more recreational based. How about, I would, I would think conservation is a growing demand. Yeah, a lot of our, lot of clients will use conservation easements. What do you, what do you see in there for uh, people saying, uh, not just easements, but habitat, riparian uh, enhancements, is that becoming a bigger part of the industry? It, it started probably in early 2000s where it really a lot of owners went that route as far as stream enhancement uh, pond development um, wildlife habitat development and it's still a, a big part of of the industry but uh, a stream enhancements and conservation and uh, I was going to ask about hunting surely hunting enhancement has got to be a big yeah big uh, big game wildlife habitat is, yeah. is up high up on the list and how to manage a, a cattle operation that, that doesn't uh, impact but improves the big game hunting mm-hmm. is, is a big item. Absolutely. And so are your services, are they kind of like a la carte that we can do bookkeeping for you? We can do HR. We can do uh, monitoring, uh, rangeland monitoring. I mean, tell me about some of the services and is it whole whole holistic or whole ranch or it it varies by the client of course you know the simplest case would be the owner does not want to run the cattle or do the farming so we negotiate a lease and we'll monitor that lease throughout the term and make sure that tenants um adhere to the terms of the lease and oversee any capital improvements the owner may want to make under the lease agreement and other other times the owner will operate the ranch. We'll pay the bills for the ranch. We will help hire employees, do monthly budget reports, do an annual budget, um, do, I've, I've bought livestock many times before, go buy bulls, buy bred cows, just whatever may be required. I'm curious, uh, with everything you see, what are some of the things you would say are the biggest mistakes uh, you see being done out there? And I guess I'm thinking mostly from a from a profitability or, or even a, a value preservation, you know, taking care of the ranch or, or, or just managing an asset in, in, in a, the right way. I'm curious what, what you see out there. Are there some Yeah, probably the, the biggest one would be where the operation doesn't match what the land can prov- provide. Hmm. You know, that people will try to force an operation onto a ranch that really doesn't make sense 
and in the end. Are you talking about emu farming, or what are we? <laughs> no, not necessarily. <laughs> you know, you, some, Pecans? Some places, <laughs> aren't, some places aren't set up to winter cattle, right. for example. Oh, sure. Yeah, and sure. they want a cow-calf operation, when in reality, maybe a yearling operation would be hmm. much better. But along with those different operating scenarios comes different levels of risk that the owner needs to be willing to take and understand. One thing you hear in the coffee shops, probably the biggest thing you hear about absentee owners of substantial wealth is it's a, it's a tax write-off. Is it really a tax write-off, Jerome? No, I don't think it is a tax write-off. Their, their goal isn't to lose money? No. <laughs> you don't help them do that? <laughs> These individuals are smart business people. Right, and, and really the only tax benefits, I mean, if it's going to be a cash flow break even, uh, a K-1 distribution loss is the depreciation. And, yeah. And every other farmer gets depreciation from their equipment and cattle. Yeah. So, so how do you... How do you approach misconceptions about absentee owners when, when you're kind of put in the middle there? You're, you're the guy between the community and the owner. How do you approach that? A couple ways. Um, when, w when I have the chance, I talk to clients about how they can be a good member of the community, whether that's as simple as fixing your share of the fence to maybe donating some money to certain causes in the community. And I also remind people that absentee owners uh, spend a lot of money in the local economy, whether through payroll, through building projects, things like that. Um, a lot of that money gets put into the economy and is multiplied several times over. What's, what's your favorite oper type of operation? You grew up with the Gleaner. No, I didn't. Actually, we had Massey Ferguson. Oh, so. okay. You had the Masseys. <laughs> but I did run gleaners back in the day for some neighbors. But I would say probably my favorite operation, even though I've, I was raised on a grain farm, would probably be a cow-calf operation. I just, I love the seasons of the year and get to see new calves being born and the green grass and, and the smell of sagebrush. You know, you were talking about... Um, the potential of ranches to be tax write-offs. And when I was a kid growing up, cattle prices were terrible. Uh, oil was pretty good, I think. And a lot of the buyer set at that point, uh, I think, were a lot of oil, oil men. And so the, uh, they used to talk about the cross-breeding breeding program, oil and cattle. <laughs> yeah. Nothing crosses better with an Angus, Angus than an oil well. Yeah, yeah. and that, uh, I think, to your comment, back at that time, a cattle ranch made a lot of sense financially as a as a balancer to a, to an oil industry um well there's there's a lot of merit in, in a diversity in any operation you know if my family operation we had grain and cattle and my father would tell us many times that if it wasn't for the cattle we may not be here because hmm. when grain was was poor or weak prices cattle were generally good they seemed to run counter cyclical hmm. yeah absolutely and, and how do you approach that that risk management, uh, mitigating risks with a client who's dead set on having the blackest cows, having elk. Um, I mean, how, how firm do you have to be in educating some of these people? That seems like a difficulty. Yeah, it's, it's definitely a challenge, but I think if they trust you, they'll listen to you. And, and I just be honest with them. I mean, in, in my 31-year career, honesty has gone a long ways with me. And 
sometimes I may be too short and too honest, but but at least they know where I'm coming from. Tell us about the breadth of the operation at Hall and Hall, and because you're in the management d- division. Correct. There's three of us in the management division out of the Billings office, and then we have offices um, scattered throughout Montana, Colorado, Nebraska, Texas, um, Idaho, and then we have some affiliates in the southeast. But we're probably one of the few full-service real estate firms around where where not only do we do real estate, but we do management. We underwrite real estate loans, mm-hmm. and then we do appraisals. So do you cross over with those other arms very frequently, or is it mostly you know, just once the ranch has been purchased, you come in and, and take over, or is there no, overlap? There's, there's a fair amount of crossover. A lot of our management leads come from our real estate partners mm-hmm. when they're out showing the ranch. Um, they tell them we have a management division that can help them get get started in the operation and then uh we'll also refer loans to our loan department from our real estate side and our management side as well as appraisal so there's there's a fair amount of crossover mm-hmm. and hall and hall has been around since this year is our 70th 75th anniversary 75 years yep. man i i in my grandparents' basement, I found an old Hall and Hall yeah, advertisement. Yeah, I have it. Oh, do you? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's just amazing to see the length, you know, those guys who were running Hall and Hall back in the day, the length they went to, to market, which if you're going to be marketing, you have to provide value. And they were, Andy, they were doing like a, a calving book where you can write down mm-hmm. your calving dates, I think is what it was. And uh, they they had someone at the county courthouse uh, record essentially write down who owns what and that was really I thought ahead of their time because mm. someone had to go to the county courthouse to state Tom Jones owns 1200 acres uh, Carrie Smith owns 14,000 acres there was only one way to get that back in the day and that was from the courthouse and someone had to sit down and you do had to, it you had to sweet talk the clerk you had to bring the clerk <laughs> and, flowers or something and just as you know I mean people wanted to Farmers and ranchers, local people wanted to know that. They wanted to know who's out there as a landowner, just as we do today. And I thought mm-hmm. that was really neat. Yeah, nowadays, of course, you can get it all online. <laughs> yeah, well, pl- plenty easier today. Everyone <laughs> everyone knows what you have, and that drives a lot of ranchers crazy. Yeah, that's true. So what are you excited about going forward with ranch management? I mean, we've got, you're probably getting the calls. Uh, Yellowstone, Kevin Costner is is driving this market today. He's driving <laughs> the bus, and you've seen the river runs through it, boom. And you were there when it went from probably 1984 farm crisis to uh, institutional grade type investing, and you've seen a lot of changes. Um, what are you excited about going forward? I think the you know, as you well know, the latest buzzword is this regenerative agriculture movement that a lot of people are talking about it. I'm not seeing too many people doing it. I have one client where we're doing an intensive grazing operation at high elevation on some primarily meadows and then some upland. And we're not far far enough long to see the results yet, but we're we're excited about it to see if we can definitely increase carrying capacity as well as build more grass boy we might need two more hours you just you just hit on something andy and i are both very passionate about i'm glad you did and 
Andy, what are your thoughts on regenerative ag? And there's a lot of talk and not a lot of walk out there. Yeah, I, I do agree with that. I, I think it's exciting, has a lot of potential. Um, it takes on the ground practitioners and experience and that takes time. And um, definitely, I think a lot of times new innovative things like that are spawned by, you know, highly idealistic, sometimes highly funded from outside sources. You know, someone's kind of got to take the fall first off or, you know, get over those hurdles. And then it's interesting to see how, how thoroughly it takes hold as a, as a universal practice, I guess that'll be, uh, but it's, it's neat to hear you guys are excited about exploring yeah, the possibilities. I mean, I've, I've read several of the books, you know, the Gabe Browns and books like that. And it's what, what people are doing. If you can duplicate that, it's huge. It's a game changer. Yeah. And I, I mean, when just getting into it a little bit, I mean, isn't kind of baked into a lot of those systems, more intensive management. Yeah. I think it's, which I think is a result of diversity. I mean, you, you the you just can't have a, a monoculture out there. You got to have a bunch of different plants it, growing out. It always there. seemed like that was a bit of a plus minus, you know, more labor involved, which of course can be costly. But you know, there's some people that actually want to get back to doing, uh, spending more time, you know, on the place and that kind of thing. So it's a double edged sword there. And the what's really piqued my interest in in that realm is the inclusion of livestock. How when you include livestock into your operation, how that builds soil quicker. Mm -hmm. Oh, absolutely. There's a, there's a farmer in Petroleum County in Winnet who he's having a challenge with his dad who can have the best yields and who can have the highest protein on dry land grain. And this guy, he's, he's running watermelon out there between the rows of, of <laughs> dry land wheat. And, uh, and he's, he's putting cows on his wheat in the spring to really beat it up and uh, induce that plant into survival, which forces the plant to produce more protein. But you're also returning manure to the ground, so his yields aren't affected, his protein's higher, and he's there saying, hey, Dad, how's that heavy tillage going for you and that, that uh, fallow on, on wheat rotation? How's that going for you? And I... I'm glad you brought that up, Jerome, because it's great to hear that some of the big names like Holland Hall within, uh, behind the doors of their office, they are interested in regenerative ag and they see the value in it. It's, it's definitely something that I think a lot of people are excited about. And you're seeing it up in the Golden Triangle, you're seeing farmers intercrop, interseed pulse crops have two or three different types of pulse crops in an operation. And, and I, from early from what I've heard it they're pleased with the results had yep. you mentioned there's drive being driven by your client base that people are are asking for this and and it I wouldn't say it's overwhelming but a few of them are are talking about it mm -hmm. and and are studying it and then this one client he's actually doing it now with intensive grazing and so obviously it behooves you guys to at least be knowledgeable to some extent so that you can service whatever comes along, whatever requests are, are made. Yeah, definitely. So one, one thing, um, you don't have to take a hardline position on this next one like I did, but I had a post on uh, LinkedIn. Anyone listening, go ahead and follow me. I'm now, I'm now an influencer <laughs> <laughs> on LinkedIn. But, uh, of who? <laughs> <laughs> um, as part of regenerative ag and holistic management, which is deeply... Uh, valuable to me and, and it's something I'm excited about 
there's a misconception that bison are more uh, beneficial to the ecosystem, to the soil, to the even the hydration cycle, the water cycle of your your rangelands. Um, I don't know if you, you care to speak on this, Jerome, but I just want to get this out there and say bison are a ruminant, just like sheep and cattle. They have four stomachs. They're going to pass manure. They're going to they're gonna eat a little different species than cows because they're not a domesticated European animal. But overall, they are not more regenerative. And I, I think there's a lot of misconceptions about what regenerative ag is out there. I think it all goes back to how you manage the animal. I don't care if it's cattle, bison, sheep, goats. It's all, it's all in how you manage it, manage the, the herd in my mind. Um, you, you know, you could argue that bison are more herd oriented where cattle were at one time, but I've heard stories of, of people herding cattle just on horseback and in, in their grazing regime and are getting the same results. Yeah, I think part of that misconception you're talking about is that bison need less management and magically, you know, they'll be more restorative. But everything I've heard is it's just, uh, it's it, they're different, but without management, you're essentially going to get the same result as if you undermanage any other uh, yeah. resource you're trying and, to and take you know with, uh, with bison I don't know bison in and out but but how they go somewhat dormant in the winter um, might make them more adapt in winter cl winter climates well and that goes back to as you mentioned one of the management principles is match your animal to your land base um, if you're at 7500 feet and you have snow 7 months of the year probably a stalker operation yeah definitely the land will tell you what's best you just have to listen that <laughs> might be the title for our for our uh, thumbnail jerome thank you <laughs> you bet i <laughs> uh, really like that and what have you learned over your 35 year car uh, career what what are some of the most important things you've learned probably the most important is communication you know, I, I, having an undergraduate and a graduate degree, you learn all the book stuff, but it's, they don't really teach you communication. And it's how you effectively communicate is key, um, is, is one of the big things I've learned. And then, and then be honest. Uh, be who you are and, uh, and tell the truth. And be upfront with people, and I think they'll respect that more in the long run than, than trying to sweet talk them at the, at the beginning. Here's a question for you, Jerome, that may be difficult to answer. In your opinion, on the whole, the broader landscape out there and, you know, in our, in our region, how would you rate management overall? And, of course, I'm not talking about hall, hall managed properties, but just, you know, the lay of the land out there. How, how well or how poorly are our lands being managed today? That's a, that's a tough one, Andy, but I think management is key because without proper management, you don't have sustainability you're not going to have multiple generations on the land. And you have to figure out a way to, to manage it correctly to where that land will, will always give you something in return. And don't abuse it. Because the minute you start abusing it, is, it's a slippery slope and, and you're done. It's hard to recover from that. It is. In, in, in Especially a, in these arid, brittle environments. Exactly. I can't tell you how many times I've been on a ranch. And I'm, I, bet, I bet everyone in this room has had this experience where you're, 
you're you show up on a ranch and it's it's talked up pretty extensively, you know, and you you show up and you just see, you know, something that's just dramatically overgrazed or you know right out of, right off looking at it, you're just like yeah. <laughs> you know, and it's funny, and then and you you can't believe people are coming at you with that perspective. It's like, yeah, you know, have you never seen good management before, or you don't see enough ranches? Well, or, you know, it's. I mean, to me, it's a renewable resource, and you got to put it in the right position to where it can keep renewing. Otherwise, you're done. Well, that that forthright and candid communication, I would imagine. I mean, part of Hall, part of Hall and Hall is sales. You have to keep a client happy. It would it would be very challenging to tell someone their place is overgrazed, the fences are poor, you have a terrible relationship with your neighbor, and to do that in a way that they don't take it personal, they're not pissed off and offended about you uh, saying they have a shithole. Um, that's one one area I struggle with is. I've been called brash and abrasive <laughs> because my opinion and my perspective comes off uh, insensitive. And I, I, I try to be forthright. I, I try to be candid, but it comes off almost like, uh, I guess, they feel attacked. And, I mean, how do you navigate that? Because it is such a personal issue. You're saying, I'm doing this. They hear I'm doing this wrong. Well, you take baby steps and... Or you try to find a small project and build on that. Uh, hopefully you have good results with the first project and keep building on it. And then uh, your goal with the, that the owner would see that and appreciate that and uh, realize that you're going down the right path. You know, I'm reminded um, what, back when I had my real estate license, we had a ranch listed and this guy was a pretty light user. He was very much into... Um, you know, rotation. And in fact, I think if I, if I remember right, he almost let the place rest every other or every third year, you know, something like that. So pretty serious commitment to, you know, rest rejuvenation. And it just happened, you know, when he decided to put this ranch on the market, this, uh, it was different separate units, but the one unit just had, you know, an unbelievable stand of grass. It hadn't been grazed that year. And it was pretty dramatic, the response that that got, uh, even just viscerally, even, you know, not just, you know, hard-nosed operators, you know, saying, geez, there's a lot of grass out here, but just the way it came across, it kind of had an impact on me because a lot of the places we see, certainly at least one point of the year, because, you know, if it's managed well, it might be grazed down pretty good at one point in time, at least, right, through the through the grazing cycle. But um, that, that I still kind of uh, re- remember that and the, the response that that property got just by how good it looked for yeah, grass. Yeah, I mean, as you well know, it's all about the recovery time. In some of these arid environments, it might be a year yeah, or two years. Just depends on moisture and, and uh, the, the dirt. Do many of your clients express in their whole, you know, overall list of goals and values uh, that they're trying to achieve, you know, kind of a long-term value preservation or value um, building, maintaining value of the property some some do um you know some of our clients want to pass it on to the next generation or several generations so so they want to do the right thing and and maintain it or improve the property and if they're if they're operating it well and keeping the improvements up and or adding to them there shouldn't be a problem for long-term value appreciation Mm mm-hmm 
So Jerome, if I'm an investor and I jumped into this Montana ranch purchase in 2020 because uh, things were getting crazy in Minneapolis and, and uh, I wanted to take part in the Kevin Costner Yellowstone movement. <laughs> so I bought this place and now, now I just don't know what the heck I'm going to do with it. Or maybe I'm a widow who doesn't have kids coming back to take care of it. I'm guessing, as Coulter DeVries, I'm guessing you would pick up the phone and answer it if someone had questions. And oh, definitely. You you know, no no cost to them. They'd probably be able to talk to you for half an hour, an hour. Yeah, and say, I'd, I'd even go to the ranch for a day and, and tour the ranch with them and, and talk about different operating alternatives. So I'm guessing if someone's on the fence, just, just reach out with a call and ask, you know, simply, do you get the call that says, what the heck do I do here? Not not calls like that. I mean, we'll get calls saying we have this ranch. What what are our options? And then we'll sit down with them and go through different operating scenarios. Probably one of the big misnomers is now that you own a ranch, a lot of people think you have to own the cattle, which of course mm -hmm. that isn't the case. There are two different operating decisions, investment decisions. Just because you own the the soil doesn't mean you need to own the animals. Jim Taylor did a pretty good blog post on that, I believe. Yeah, he about did. a year ago, and we, we, we uh, forwarded that at Montana Land Source, and I, I added to it a little bit. But that was a great distinction between the land investment and the business. He, he really rolled up his sleeves on that. Yeah, and, and you can still enjoy the ranch recreationally. And when you come out to the ranch, you'll see the cattle there if you like to see cattle. Um, and, uh, but you're not operating the ranch. Different enterprise. Sheep are another enterprise, and hay is another enterprise, yep. and they all deserve their own analysis. Is it is it accomplishing what you want to accomplish? Is and is it yielding um, that the best yield for that use of money and Correct. time? Yep. Well, that's awesome, Jerome. I'm guessing uh, what's the best way to reach out to you is probably you got an email on the Holland Hall yep, website. Yeah, you can go to our website hollandhall.com and we're all on there with all of our contact information and your email and your phone numbers on there. You bet. So, so our listeners in Iran cuz we have one. <laughs> 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 they they can find you and say here's what I got in mind. What's yeah, your exactly. what's your range? Will you go to Iran for, for <laughs> Never been overseas. <laughs> <laughs> been, been been all over the western US but never overseas. Well, I, uh, I'm very interested in uh, South Carolina or Georgia plantations, so we might have to talk about that in the future. <laughs> I, I just love those old colonial British Empire plantations. Yeah, they're really neat. They're nice assets. Mm -hmm. Yep. So appreciate you coming on. Andy, what are some final thoughts you have here? Uh, I'm, I'm with you on the value of of management and uh, we've talked about the a lot on this podcast you know the complexity of land ownership only increases over time maybe exponentially just depending on where your starting point is but man the, the all the various elements and in, in running a ranch it's pretty complicated and you need good good advice good good consultants good managers um, so at the very least you know uh, investigate uh, what, what's out there and talk to the experts yeah, you bet. It's it's to me. You're managing an asset. Um, it's it's multifaceted asset, and uh, you just need to be aware of of the nuances of each um, part of the asset and and make sure you manage them correctly. 
Well, I'm not, I'm not going to let that be your summary, Jerome. Um, what would be your value proposition as we finish up this episode? What's your elevator pitch slash value proposition to anyone who's unfamiliar with professional ranch management? I think uh, a company such as ourselves, we've, we've been doing it for a long time. We know the pitfalls. We know what to look for try to, uh, in avoiding issues. And uh, I think we're a valuable resource to somebody that's new to owning agricultural real estate. Well, it's, I think there's a lot of new owners. Uh, Definitely. So that's, that's a good value prop and a good 30 second elevator pitch. Again, Jerome, this has been great. I've, we got more to talk about. Uh, this is an area I'm really interested in, especially the accreditations and Maybe if we get some messages out there, a uh, re reminder to everyone that we are on LinkedIn, Andy Ron. Jerome, are you on some of the social media? Yeah, I am. I'm on LinkedIn. You're on Jerome Chavilacek on LinkedIn. Um, we're taking messages, uh, listener feedback, some questions. This was one of them. I uh, wanted to hear more about professional ranch management. Uh, send us your questions and comments, ranch investors on Facebook, LinkedIn, email we don't we don't look at the email too much but <laughs> if you if you also if you uh having a hard time getting a hold of jerome you know listen to this again i guess <laughs> <laughs> don't call us <laughs> yeah yeah well appreciate it jerome this was awesome thanks, well, thank, jerome. thanks for having me i really appreciate it and i'd be happy to come back if there's anything else you want to talk about i think i think with regenerative yeah we're gonna this is only gonna get bigger and i think you're right Yep. I'm, I'm excited to hear that you're passionate about that, too. Well, good. All right, everyone. Thanks, Jerome. Thank you. Thank you for joining us today on RanchInvestor.com podcast. We have a few things of note, uh, some housekeeping to take care of. Coulter DeVries is a licensed real estate broker in Montana and Wyoming. Andy Ron is a Montana certified general appraiser and accredited through the American Society of Farm Managers and Rural Appraisers. Denver Gilbert is a licensed real estate broker in four states. I say this because there are still 12 states that are non-disclosure, meaning we do not have the privilege of releasing private and confidential information from certain land markets. We have fiduciary and agency relationships that we take very seriously and would not seek to compromise these duties. In this podcast, we do not report information pertaining to specific clients or market participants unless it is public knowledge. Our reporting is not to be misconstrued as legal or financial advice, even though we may have opinions as to what one ought to do when it comes to ranch and land investing. Advice is only worth what you pay for it, and you are receiving this for free. So if you would like further information, please reach out to any of the hosts or guests on your own accord. We enjoy hearing your feedback, so please post any questions or comments to our Ranch Investor private group on Facebook. If you do not have Facebook, please send to comments at ranchinvestor.com and thank you for listening.